All right, I see that we are at the top of the hour, so we're going to go ahead and kick things off. Uh, welcome and thank you for uh, joining us this afternoon. My name is Derek Wingfield. I am the Supervisor of Corporate Communications at Southwest Power Pool. Uh, SPP is a grid operator headquartered in Little Rock, Arkansas. We're responsible for balancing electric supply and demand for a 14-state region in the central U.S. Uh, we don't directly serve homes and businesses, but we operate at the wholesale level. We oversee the, the operation of the bulk transmission system on behalf of our member utilities, and they in turn operate the distribution networks that supply power to more than 17 million people in our footprint. In uh, just a moment, I'll provide a recap of the operational events that our region has experienced over the last several days and SPP's role in responding to them. And you'll also hear this afternoon from SPP's President and Chief Executive Officer Barbara Sugg, our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer Lanny Nickel, and our Senior Vice President of Government Affairs and Public Relations, Mike Ross. We will be leaving time at the end for questions uh, after each of their statements. Uh, and just a, a quick note of housekeeping, uh, you'll be able to ask questions in the WebEx chat window. Uh, we'll do our best to monitor that. And uh, you can also virtually raise your hand uh, to join a queue from which we'll call on as many of you as we have time to address. And I'll repeat these instructions when it's time for questions, but to raise your hand, you need to open the participant window in your WebEx screen that's at the bottom. There's a button at the bottom right corner of your screen. And then once that's open in the window that you see, look for a small hand icon in the bottom corner of the participant menu. And then when you're finished, uh, once we have addressed your questions, I'll just ask that you lower your hand in the same way. And then one final housekeeping note before we get started, this, uh, this event is being recorded and we'll provide a link to the recording to everyone who is in participation. You're, you're free to use that video in your recording. So with that, I'm going to turn things over to Southwest Power Pool President and Chief Executive Officer Barbara Sugg for some opening remarks. Barbara. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate the invitation to be here today. Um, I, I, I do want to reiterate a few things that Derek said in his opening remarks. We are like the air traffic controller for the electric power grid, and we do operate across 14 states. We work hand-in-hand -hand with the local electric companies and the energy suppliers throughout our entire 14-state region, uh, and also working with our neighboring regions to manage the grid around the clock. We don't own the generators or the power lines, as Derek mentioned. Honestly, our primary responsibility is to make sure that electricity is delivered to the member utilities in the most affordable way possible. And then those utilities then deliver the power to their customers. During a storm like this one, you know, our job is to make sure that the region's electric grid is managed reliably. Uh, the decision to reduce load, even just a single megawatt, is, is a decision that we never take lightly. Fortunately, our geographic diversity helps us it helps us to spread those types of necessary outages across a 14-state area so that no one area takes the brunt of the, of the outage situation. And our local utilities then utilize their plans that they have in place for issuing uh, rolling outages within their areas. So, you know, we simply have to continuously balance power supply and demand. Uh, and we, have to, we also have to keep the transmission infrastructure operating within the safe limits that it's designed for to prevent uncontrolled and cascading outages from occurring, which would be much, much more devastating than anything that we've seen this week. 
Um, and so with that, those are my opening remarks. I appreciate you all being here. Uh, um, I'm going to pass it back to Derek, and I think we're going to get into a little bit more details about what's been happening and, and what we see happening going forward. Thank you, Barbara. Uh, so I just want to take a moment to walk through the timeline of events that have occurred over the last several days, uh, just to, to frame the rest of the conversation. Um, so this has been a, an unprecedented event for the SPP region. Um, we actually began planning for this according to our forecasts several days ago, uh, and the, the first sort of um, publicly visible step that we took was uh, the declaration of conservative operations on February the 9th. Uh, conservative operations, that's uh, just our way to signal to our generator and transmission operators that conditions are going to exist that could stress the system, and so um, we, we and they should begin to operate the system more conservatively. And there's a number of things that we can do uh, along those lines. Um, so the next step that we took was the issuance of our first energy emergency alert level one, which we did on Sunday, February the 14th at 5 a.m. Uh, there are three levels of energy emergency alert that increase in severity. The first level um, just means that conditions exist that um, could lead to the exhaustion of our reserves. So we still have enough power. We're able to serve all load at that point. We have our full reserves, um, but uh, we anticipate that we could have to dip into operating reserves. So again, that happened uh, on Sunday, February the 14th at 5 a.m. And then just a little bit later that morning at 7.22 a.m. on Sunday, February the 14th, we issued an energy emergency alert level two. Uh, and around that time, we also made our first uh, public appeals. We worked through our member utilities um, and asked that they reach their end-use consumers uh, and encourage people to begin conserving energy. I'll note, I mentioned that this was an unprecedented event. That marked the first time that SPP has ever had to declare uh, a, a, a conserv public conservation or that we have ever issued an energy emergency alert level two. Then on Monday, February the 15th at 10.08 a.m., we issued, again, our very first energy emergency alert level three. And that means that we are now operating under our minimum required reserves. At that point, we were still able to serve all load, but we were dipping into those reserves. Uh, and it was uh, a short time later at 12.10 p.m. Central Time, uh, I'm sorry, at 10.08 a.m. that we first had to declare and, and work with our member utilities uh, to call for controlled interruptions of service. So that was Monday, February 15th. Um, we were able to uh, restore all load 50 minutes later, though. And so um, we very shortly thereafter were able to um, get enough generation online to uh, restore load. And by 2 p.m. that afternoon on February 15th, had backed down to an energy emergency alert level two. The next step was earlier today uh, on, uh, was the declaration of an energy emergency alert level three at 6.46 a.m. Uh, and then uh, um, we 
also had to curtail energy later today. Um, but by um, 11.30 a.m., we had returned to an energy emergency alert level two. And then as of 12.31 p.m. Central Time today, we return to an energy emergency alert level one. So currently the SPP system, and that's a 14-state region in the central U.S., um, we are able to serve all the load uh, on, on our system. We have enough generation online, and we are able to meet our reserve requirements. So um, just a recap of the events that have led us here, and at this point I'm going to turn to our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Lanny Nickel, who will go a little bit further into what we've been experiencing operationally and what we see on the horizon. Lanny? Well, thank you very much, Derek, and I appreciate you providing a step-by-step -step, uh, explanation of the various events and, and steps along the way that we have experienced so far. I want to I, I want to go back just just a little further and 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 do a little bit more of an explanation as to how we got to where we're at. Uh, I know I know that many of our consumers across the region are curious and, and frustrated and wondering why um, there wasn't better preparation. Um, and so I want to address that just a little bit. We began actually to prepare for this event uh, over a week ago. We, we saw the potential for the winter storm. It was, it was in a lot of forecast. We knew this was coming, and, and we began to work to prepare for it as best we could over a week ago. We have worked closely with power suppliers and our utility operators within our region to make sure that generation is available to meet the forecasted peak consumption, which we, we knew and expected, fully expected to occur yesterday and today. We knew that Monday and, and today of this week were going to be extremely high in terms of weather uh, uh, or winter peak consumption. Um, and, and we began to make sure that generating units were online and available to produce energy, actually beginning as far back as Thursday of last week. Um, and despite these efforts and despite these plans, uh, the severe weather that we experienced, the limited fuel supply uh, that we began to observe and experience uh, began to hamper our ability to balance the supply that we had available to us with the demand uh, from consumers in uh, being served by each of our utility members. We, as Derek mentioned, we issued escalating notices that advised of the tightening supply conditions and began to ask for voluntary reductions in energy use. Um, we, we don't want, as Barbara mentioned earlier, we do not want to interrupt service. No one wants to do that. That's a last resort. We have over 17.5 million consumers within our region. We don't want a single one of them with, to go with that power for a single minute. Um, we held off as long as we possibly could to make the call to interrupt service in a controlled fashion. Um, Real-time energy production changes on a second-by-second -second basis, just as the demand does. And once we observe an imbalance between supply and demand, 
we have to act within minutes to correct it by reducing demand. If we don't act quickly, the situation can get out of hand and that can evolve into an uncontrolled situation that is longer lasting and possibly even of a greater magnitude. And that's absolutely what we don't want to have happen. So we have worked closely with our members. Uh, They have worked closely with us. We've worked with our neighbors. Our neighbors have worked closely with us. We've all been working together as, as best we can to prevent the actions that we ultimately ended up having to take. We wish that we could let people know uh, well in advance that their service is about to be interrupted. Um, but the reason we don't do that is because we wait as long as we possibly can to make that decision. We don't take that decision lightly. And, um, and we know that our utilities can interrupt power quickly, um, at, and, and they have operators with fingers on the buttons ready to push those buttons and ready to, to interrupt consumers as necessary and only as absolutely necessary. So having said that, that's, that's kind of the history. Um, what do we project going forward? Uh, we, I, I do want to just touch briefly on the amount of interruptions that we asked for yesterday and directed. Uh, it was about 641 megawatts. To put that in perspective, that represents about 1.5% of our peak demand on that day. Uh, today, we interrupted or at least directed the interruption of about 2,700 megawatts of load within our region, and that represents about 6% of our peak demand. So clearly today uh, was a little bit uh, worse than yesterday. Our members are the ones that then, according to their plans, have to take action, and and they know who to interrupt, and they know when to interrupt them and how to rotate that and spread it around in the best possible way that they can. Um, Yesterday's interruption lasted about 50 minutes. Today's lasted a little over three hours. Um, we are we have we were able to restore that um, and uh, and and are now actually in pretty good shape. But uh, we're not out of the woods. Uh, we expect that tonight load will pick up. Uh, we'll start to see more and more consumption as the evening grows, and uh, it's it's possible that um, we could be back in this situation again later tonight. If we survive tonight without having to direct further curtailments and interruptions of of service, uh, we could be back in this tomorrow. Um, There's a lot of factors at at play, um, and and every factor has to line up uh, in order for uh, us to be able to be successful in operating through the day successfully. Fuel supply is a concern of ours. Uh, If wind production isn't where we need it to be or where we think it will be, that can cause uh, us to have to take action before we would like to. If gas supply is not where we need it to be when we ask it to be there, um, that causes us to have to take action uh, before we want to. We rely heavily on our neighbors. Our neighbors have been very good to us, and, and when they have excess energy, they deliver that to us. Uh, we have imported really large amounts of energy from them, and that has helped us uh, tremendously. 
Um, but if they have to withdraw that, if they have to call that back um, and curtail it, then that means we have to rely on our own supply within the, the region. And as, as we've already stated, our supply is, is somewhat scarce right now. And, um, and so uh, any one of those factors load, uh, if, if consumption is higher than what we had previously projected, that changes the picture. All of those factors are what we have to consider. And as I mentioned before, we don't want to have to interrupt load, and we will wait till the, the absolutely last minute possible while continuing to make sure we can keep the lights on in a reliable fashion and prevent the system from incurring cascading outages before we actually ask customers to interrupt. And uh, so I think with that, you know, we're going to be in this again uh, tonight. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing or predicting that we will have to issue service interruptions, but, uh, but it's possible. Uh, we could be in this again tomorrow. Uh, don't know for sure, but it's possible, and it's, it's just uh, it's one of those things. It's an unprecedented event in 80 years, the first time we've had to do this. Uh, we're going to learn a lot from it, and, um, and, and I appreciate very much our, our utilities, our suppliers, our neighbors working with us to make the best out of a, a really possible, uh, even worse situation. Thank you, Laney. Uh, and lastly, we're going to turn to our Senior Vice President of Government Affairs and Public Relations, Mike Ross. Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Derek, and, and, and thanks to Barbara and, and, and Lanny. Um, and as, as Barbara and Lanny both pointed out, we never want to lose a single megawatt of power on the electric grid. And in fact, um, we've been coordinating power in one way or another since 1941. And, and this week is the first time we have found ourselves uh, in an energy emergency alert level two or three. And so it, it certainly is unprecedented weather and unprecedented times. And as Lanny uh, pointed out, this is something we started planning for uh, a week ago um, in public appeals uh, to continue to conserve energy are ongoing. We've been asking folks to conserve energy uh, since uh, since uh, Saturday. And, uh, you know, really this, this event and the other grid operators in the United States are, are facing similar or worse challenges. Uh, we've been pretty fortunate. Uh, 641 megawatts out of about 44,000 megawatts is what we lost yesterday, and that was for 50 minutes. And today, a little more substantial, uh, 2,700 megawatts, uh, and we lost that uh, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,700 megawatts. Uh, the entire time frame for that today was under three hours, about two hours and, and 45 minutes. But this has been, been created by what I call the, the perfect storm. Uh, record low or near record low temperatures are causing record high demand for electricity. In fact, we set a new winter uh, peak yesterday on the SPP system. Uh, inadequate supplies of natural gas that are needed to power gas-fired electric generators uh, has been a, an issue for us. And then extreme cold temperatures. Uh, the extreme cold has made it difficult for some units to uh, to operate. Lanny mentioned wind. We actually, uh, you know, we, we used to only have to forecast how much energy was needed about a day in advance and make sure the generation was there 
the load was there to match the demand. And, and now we also have to forecast the wind. And we have to do that days in advance because some of these larger gas and coal units can take, you know, a day or more to get up and, and, and running. And, and we came in on forecast. In fact, wind has produced a little bit more than what we had forecast, but it's about, you know, 10% of our energy mix. And, and the average for the year is about 31%. And we forecast the wind to pick back up later in the week. And, and, and then there isn't enough available generation to meet demand during the severe weather event. And, 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 and record, record demand is, is causing transmission loading issues. So sometimes you have enough generation but the demand is so great on the system that you can't put that much generation on the transmission lines without the potential to overload them. So let me just wrap up by, by reminding everyone that, you know, a, a coordinated temporary interruption of service is something that we never want. But when we're required to do it, it, it ensures that no one is without power for very long and prevents potential damage to the system, which can, uh, can lead to longer outages. So, you know, in an ice storm, you don't know how long you're going to be out. Sometimes it's days. Uh, I've experienced those where it's been more than a week in my lifetime. Uh, this is a coordinated temporary interruption of, of service, something we never want to do. But when we are required to do it, we're doing it so that it does not lead to, to longer prolonged outages. And so, uh, as Lanny mentioned, SPP's forecast anticipates that Due to high load and, and persistent cold weather, it's likely that our system will fluctuate between these energy emergency alert levels uh, over the next 24 to, to 48 hours. So with that, Derek, uh, I think I'll pass it back to you, and we'll be glad to answer any questions anyone might have. All right. Thank you, Mike. And yes, we're going to take some questions now. Uh, again, you can, if you want, you can send the question in the chat. Several of you have done so already. You can also raise your hand. Um, and again, just uh, want to clarify how to do that. If you're unfamiliar with the WebEx platform, just open the participant win window. If you're on a desktop machine using that application, it'll be in the bottom right-hand corner. And once that window opens, uh, in the bottom right corner of, uh, of that window, you should see a small hand icon. Uh, and once you've asked your question, if you'll click that button, once again, it will lower your hand so we can move on to the next person in the queue. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll ask a couple of uh, questions that were asked in the chat first. Um, and the first one comes from Kat Reed with 41 Action News in Kansas City. Um, Kat asks, when controlled outages are no longer needed, is that because load dropped or because we found additional generation capacity? Uh, Randy might uh, just comment a little more on some of the variables that, that go into balancing load and generation and, and when we um, would either curtail load and then cease to curtail load? Well, Kat, that's a great question. I appreciate uh, you asking it. Um, it. It normally is a combination of factors that can cause us to either have to go into the EEA-3 and issue the directives to curtail load and then vice versa to come out of it. And, and you mentioned two of them. Um, Generally speaking, what we have observed throughout this entire event is that load does drop off after a certain time in the morning, and that relieves some of the pressure and stress uh, that we have against our supply that's available. We've also uh, observed certain generation that has become available uh, after some period of time, and we've also seen it be become unavailable 
uh, and uh, and then also the third factor that is a big one for us and that we have, have observed impacting when we come into and go out of these uh, events is our ability to import from our neighbors. They have excess energy. They will deliver it to us, and that's been uh, a tremendous benefit throughout this entire event. But there are times when they need it for their own use, and when that happens, they curtail it, and we're no longer able to rely on it. So those three things, changes in load, whether it's coming up or going down, uh, changes in generation availability within our own footprint, and then uh, changes in our ability to rely upon energy being imported from, from other regions outside of ours. All right. Thanks, Lanny. Uh, somewhat, uh, somewhat related question. Aldo Svaldi, who uh, I believe is with the Denver Post, asked, can you discuss expected supply versus what was actually delivered? Um, what degree was wind responsible for the shortfall versus gas generation? Um, and is there anything else that could fill the gap going forward uh, in a similar scenario if, say, gas couldn't deliver? Unfortunately, I don't have all of the data I need to comprehensively answer that question. I can tell you that, at least from a wind perspective, uh, which is something that we follow really closely just because of its intermittent nature, we, we attempt to forecast it as best we can. It's important that our forecast be accurate. And I will say that, at least as of yesterday and today, our forecasts have been pretty spot on, uh, which has been a, a real blessing for us. Um, and and our, we have seen about 10 to 12 percent of our energy mix, at least throughout the peak times of yesterday and today, being supplied by wind generation. All right. Thanks, Lanny. One more question from the chat before we go to some of the people waiting on the, on the phone. Um, this comes from Ray Yost. Uh, and he asked how you determine which members do the planned rolling blackouts and outages and, and says that, you know, at, at some of these periods, it seems that uh, some regions may have been more impacted than others. So can you clarify how, how we decide or what our role is in deciding what areas are curtailed and by how much? You bet. We, um, once we determine the amount that we need to be curtailed in order to balance the supply against demand, that amount is allocated proportionate to our members' um, consumption within their areas. So as an example, if a particular member is consuming half of the entire region's uh, consumption, they would get half of the obligation to uh, interrupt service. Now, we don't have any single member that big. I tried to make that a simple example, but, uh, but that's how that would work. All right, thank you, Lanny. Um, so first up on the phone, we have Chris Polanski. He's with KWGS in Tulsa. Uh, Chris, I am unmuting your line now, so you may ask your question. Great, Derek, can you hear me? We can indeed, go ahead. Excellent, thank you all so much for doing this availability. Um, it, it seems as though the message here is things are still kind of unknown and a bit precarious and consumers should still be conserving. Uh, here in Oklahoma, pretty soon, the, the Thunder are about to play at their arena. Um, with all that heating and all that lighting and everything else at the arena, is that something that could have a negative impact on this system? 
you know, well, first of all, go Thunder and good luck to them if they, in fact, get to play tonight. Um, I, Chris, I don't know how much energy they would consume <laughs> if they were to play. Uh, my my best advice would be to contact the local provider in that area, and uh, and uh, they sh- you know if we do get to the point where we need to interrupt load, um, you know that's that's got to be something that would be coordinated with that local provider, and I'm assuming that's Oklahoma Gas and Electric. Hey, Lanny, I may add that. Uh- that load, a load of that magnitude is also considered in the projections. Those games are scheduled in advance. They, you know, when we forecast the load uh, working together with our member companies, uh, we know about events like this and, and, and that type of data feeds the forecast. So it wouldn't yeah. be a surprise. It would be part of what we're planning for already. Yeah. And like I said, if, if the situation becomes such that that forecasted load is greater than we can serve because of lack of supply, then, the, you know, the decisions that would be made to interrupt service would be done. You know, where at least specifically that service would be interrupted would be, um, you know, decided by the, the local utility. I would, I would just add, and as, as Lanny pointed out, I mean, we have 104 members of Southwest Power Pool. And so when we do, when we're forced to, to do a, a temporary interruption of service, it's prorated by each utility company. And then that utility company, they already have emergency plans in place to where based on the amount of power they've got to reduce, uh, it's planned. And, and, and typically it, it's planned to, uh, protect things like hospitals and so forth and so on. And so when you have a planned outage, you know, it may hit, hit this section of a, of a utilities service area for a few hours, and then it moves to another area. So it, uh, unlike an ice storm, when you're out until the distribution lines are, are restored. And so but those, de- those decisions aren't made by us on who gets cut. It, it's made by the, the local, local utility, and they have plans in place to in fact, the government requires this. There's drills on this all the time by us and the grid operators for your local utility. Um, like, like we've said, this is the first time we've been in an EEA two or three, and I'm real proud of the way our team and our operators and our member company operators have handled it, and that's because there's drills on this, and they practice this. And unfortunately, this week we had to implement it. All right. Thank you, Chris, for the question. Uh, next, we're going to go to Dylan Richards. Um, Dylan, I believe, is with KOCO, uh, the ABC affiliate in Oklahoma. Uh, Dylan, you can correct me if I've, if I've remembered that incorrectly. But I'm going to unmute your line now, and you're free to ask your question. Yeah, that, that was right there. Thank you. Um, I have two, if that's okay with you all. The first being, um, it, it, can you help folks understand who are going through service interruptions what would happen if you all did not uh, direct to those types of service interruptions? What would happen to the grid and the power supply? And then the second is, I know you guys said this is uh, unprecedented for your system and you guys are learning from this. Um, what are you guys learning on, on the communication? I know it's so hard to communicate to people uh, ahead of time because you wait until the last possible minute to do service interruptions. Are you guys taking a look at that process and, and how that can be improved? Thank you. Well, I'll answer that last question first. Uh, there, we will be looking at everything that we've done throughout this entire event, and 
looking for opportunities to improve. Our members will be looking at that with us um, and, um, and our regulators as well. And so uh, there, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, you know any, any time you do anything like this, there's going to be opportunities to improve, and, and we'll be looking into that. Um, you know, in, in terms of what would otherwise happen if we weren't proactive, and and um, and performing the the cautionary steps that we've been taking, uh, really two things. One, we would violate uh, mandatory reliability standards that we have placed on us. We're required to do this. Our our federal government uh, and, and the reliability organization that audits entities like us expect us to take these precautionary measures. We're, we're required to do that. So, and we're subject to violations and penalties if, if we don't follow those standards. Um, secondly, it, you know, it's hard, it, it's hard to tell exactly what would happen because we, you know, we do everything we can to prevent it. I can refer you to an event that occurred back in 2003 uh, in the northeastern part of the United States. That was an uncontrolled event with cascading outages that affect, affected millions of people for days and weeks. And the, I've seen various estimates of the cost of that event, ranging anywhere from 6 to $10 billion. That's not something we want to see happen here. Thank you. I, I, I would also mention that we would love to be able to communicate uh, sooner. But literally, these decisions are not made by our COO or CEO. It's our it's our grid operators on the desk. They're following uh, guidelines, regulations, and energy is moving almost at the speed of light. And these decisions are 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 made as the decision needs to be made based on the guidelines Lanny referenced. And so, it's not like yeah, we're going to have to reduce power an hour from now or ten hours from now. It literally is a decision that's made within minutes, if not seconds. And so we get the message out as quick as we can. But this is probably a good opportunity to point out we're still in the energy emergency alert one. Um, and anything that you can do as the media to help us get the word out to, uh, to residents, uh, to end users, to residential and businesses, whatever they can do to conserve energy. Uh, over the next couple of days, we need their help doing that. Their local utility needs their help doing that. Um, I, I know usually uh, one of the peak times is at night and early morning, and 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 late at, you know in the after, afternoon, early after late afternoon to early evening is peak times. And so, you know, if you can just postpone washing the clothes or turning the dishwasher on, it you know it makes a big it makes a big difference. And so we need people. Uh, to try to, you know, turn that thermostat down a, a degree or two and, and work with us for the next couple of days because how much power we need on the system, how much generation we need to meet demand, uh, that's really up to, to consumers. How much electricity are they using? And we need their help. Hey, I, I want to follow up one thing about what Mike just said because I I think it's a really important point. The conservation efforts have been incredible and have been very much appreciated. There is no doubt in my mind that these outages would have been much, much more significant had it not been for individual customers, businesses, industries doing what they can to reduce the load. So 
we're not out of the woods yet. We need that conservation to continue. It absolutely makes a difference. And we appreciate our local, our local uh, utility companies for getting that message out to their customers. Um, you know, I hate that we even have to ask for it, but we do. And that's where we're at now. And it absolutely makes a difference. We need to continue to do that. It does have an impact. I mean, we see it in our load. Um, in, in fact, I can tell you on Monday, our load projection was actually about 1,500 megawatts higher than what we actually saw during the, the peak. And we believe that's because, at least to some extent, because of the voluntary actions that were being taken in concert with the public appeals issued by our, our, our member utilities. So thank you for that. <laughs> And, and 1,500 megawatts is a lot. I mean, that's that's several small towns, several small towns combined together. That's how much energy uh, was uh, conserved at, and, and helped us to manage these outages and minimize the impact of what was happening. All right. Um, next, I'm going to turn to Shante Lands. Uh, Shante is with KTBS in Shreveport. Shantae, I'm going to unmute your line, and you may now ask your question. All right. Hi, guys. Thank you. Um, so my question's similar to the question that was just asked, um, slightly more direct, about the decision to uh, do the rolling outages. Uh, specifically, is there any way possible that this could be avoided? Um, and it may be no, but I wanted to ask. The reason partially why I'm asking um, there are residents, one in particular in Shreveport, who has COVID and she lost power and it made it a little bit more difficult for her. Um, so I know everyone has their own issues, especially in this pandemic, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask on behalf of uh, some of the people that have been reaching out to our station and um, I guess complaining and expressing their concerns over losing power. And I guess the second go around, it was for several hours. Um, so my question is if, if this could possibly be avoided and if so, um, is there an alternative? Uh, Shante, um, I appreciate the question. I understand the frustration that uh, you're hearing, and I'm sure several of, of our uh, participants on the phone today have already heard as well. Uh, if we could have avoided it, we absolutely would have. Um, and, and again, I do want to remind you that the first event yesterday lasted 50 minutes and the event that uh, that we had today, where we asked for service interruptions uh, in a controlled fashion lasted about three hours and 21 minutes. Um, again, what we're trying to protect against is those events lasting much, much longer. And, uh, I, you know, what I can't tell you is exactly how each individual uh, consumer and customer of our member utilities are going to be impacted by that. Um, but um, what I can tell you is we, we do everything we can to avoid having to do it. And then when we do it, we want to, we want to minimize the amount of time possible uh, that would, that they would have to be exposed to some outage. Um, we, we ask our neighbors to supply us energy we reach out to all of our uh, our member utilities that have generation and ask them to bring it online. Um, I mean, if if it can run, it's going to run. And uh, if it can, if it has supply of gas or wind or whatever fuel is needed, coal, if it's got that supply, we're going to tell it to run, and uh, we'll take any and all action 
in order to prevent that last step from occurring, which is to ask for controlled interruptions of load. And um, thank you for that. And uh, apologies if you guys already said this. How much longer do you think this will go on just until the weather subsides, until the end of the week, just so that people know what to expect? Right now, uh, we are thinking that we could very much be in and out of this kind of situation uh, through tomorrow evening. So hopefully by Thursday, uh, we can get out of this, and uh, we feel a lot better about Friday. So we're looking at through the rest of the day and tomorrow uh, where we have at least some risk of, of having to do the same thing, hopefully for a short period of time, but, uh, but, it, but there's a chance. So by Thursday or Friday, the latest, it sounds like. Yes, yes ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, Shante. Uh, I want to take one more from the phone for now, and then I, I want to get to a couple that have come through in the chat. I will just uh, kind of pause for just a second to acknowledge that it, we, we have a, a lot of questions. I see a lot of you still with your hands raised. If we do not get to you, um, we'll, one, we'll be going through the chat transcript, and we'll do our best to follow up with you uh, after the fact to answer any questions that, that did not get addressed. Um, and uh, for those of you who were waiting in line and we didn't get to, if you'll follow up with us, uh, by by email or phone call, saying we'll do our best to to respond in as timely a manner as we can. Uh, for now, I'm going to turn to Kasha Mysek. Uh, Kasha, I'm going to unmute your line, and you'll be free to ask your question. Uh, go ahead. Hi, I have a two part question. One, um, it was mentioned that fuel supply is still a concern, and uh, specifically wind and gas. So I don't know if someone could comment on how much wind gas, possibly coal, um, had tripped offline or come offline. And also, um, the second part was the supply from neighbors. How much power was SPP importing and from where? Kasha, at, the, uh, at our peak import levels, we were seeing around 6,000 megawatts of energy being delivered to us from our neighbors. Uh, to put that in perspective, that's um, about 12, 13, 14 percent of what we needed um, at our peak consumption levels. Um, we, I don't have, I don't have specific amounts of the amount of outages. You know, one of the things that we will do uh, after the fact is uh, investigate and, and uh, analyze all of the details of every single event that's occurred along the way. Um, and we'll have more knowledge about that soon. I know that we have had some outages. Uh, some of those outages were uh, from coal generation whose coal <laughs> froze up. Um, some of that was from gas who just, uh, you know, sometimes the gas supply just wasn't there. Sometimes uh, the transportation uh, on on the pipelines wasn't available, and uh, but I don't have I don't have specific amounts. It changed throughout the day, and um, um, we will have that at some point. But but I know we 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 saw outages, um, and we saw plants that were offline be able to come back online. So um, these these are kind of normal things that our operators experience throughout the day. Particularly in these kinds of events, when, when the, just the extreme weather and temperatures 
have an impact on the ability of these generating plants to operate the way they, they normally would. Thank you. All right, I want to get to a couple more of the questions that have been asked in the chat. Um, there's There have been a couple related to sort of the, the, the chain of communication and, and how notifications are sent out. Um, See, so Reese Gorman with the Norman Transcript asks, you know, how, how do you recommend utilities go about alerting their customers about controlled outages occurring? Um, Arlen Gortmaker had, had also asked just what is the chain of communication, who knows first and, that, and next and so on. Um, so uh, maybe just explain, um, you know, the chain of events when we see something happening, who gets notified and how and when. When we uh, observe the need to uh, the issue the directives to curtail load, the very first thing we do is inform all of the utility operators who have the ability and the plans in place to act on that directive. Uh, so it's the transmission uh, operations part of the organizations um, that that perform those activities. So, for example, it, it'd be uh, Omaha Public Power District, Nebraska Public Power District, um, o Oklahoma Gas and Electric, American Electric Power, SWEPCO, PSO. It, you know, those are the utilities within our footprint. And I've, I've just mentioned a few that would get that very first notice. It's an it's electronic notice. And then they have to confirm that they receive the notice. And then they proceed to uh, to implement their plans to achieve the relief that we've asked. Um, as far as things that they can do to let their uh, customers know, I, you know, I presume, and in fact, I, I follow many of our member companies on Twitter. Uh, and I know that many of them use social media. Um, and I've seen them announce for example, that SPP is an energy emergency alert level one. They announced when we went to an energy emergency alert level two. Those are the, the, the kinds of information that is available uh, or and that has been made available by the utilities to their consumers. Um, I, beyond that, I, 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 don't, I don't have any other advice in terms of how to improve that communication. It really... It really um, depends on, you know, a solid and open line between the utilities and their customers. All right. Uh, another topic that's come up in uh, more than one question in the chat is um, the the financial aspect of all this. Uh, one way it was asked. Hey, Derek, I'm sorry. Just I want I want to just add one thing. By the way, um, a lot of us. Our utilities and, and SPP, we've never done this before at this level and this magnitude. So, um, I, I, you know, we will learn from this. We will improve in terms of our communications, not only between SPP and the utilities, but I, I have to assume between the utilities and their customers. Um, yeah, so the 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 question I, I was about to ask, uh, see uh, Carrie King with with KFOR in Oklahoma City uh, asked about this. Um, I, I've seen a couple of others about the the role that market prices played in this. Um, uh, one person asked, you know, was this was it the money or the giant increase in price, or was it actually a lack of of energy? 
Uh, somebody else said, you know, we've, we've used the term inadequate supply, and was it that or was it a lack of an inadequate supply at a reasonable price? Um, so how much of this um, was because the, the fuel just wasn't there, generation wasn't there, and how much was it because it was just very expensive? You know, the short answer is I don't know. <laughs> um, I, all I can tell you is what I, I'll reflect on the conversations, the many conversations that I have had, that Barbara has had, and I know uh, others within our operation staff have had with their members. Every time I talk to a member utility that had generation, they they made it clear to me that this is about reliability. It's about keeping the lights on. They're going to do everything they can to make generation available regardless of price. There will be, there will be analysis done and there will be investigations, and um, that question will be more fully answered at some point in the future. Um, but, but right now I have to believe that um, if, if fuel is available, they used it. And, and they and they made the generation available. All right. Um, one more from the chat, um, and this is just kind of a point of clarification uh, that has to do with you know we've referred to local utilities. Um, any any more that uh, you, you can say to, to clarify. Um, when we say a local utility, what does that mean to an end-use consumer, and, and how does that relate to the instructions or the announcements that they might be receiving from SPP? I think the simplest way I could answer that question is who sends you the bill. <laughs> when you go to the mailbox and you get a bill from your utility, um, you know, whoever it is that sends you that bill, that's, that's who we're working with uh, on our end. All right. I'm hoping we have time for one or two uh, from the phone. I'm going to go next to Matt Flinner. I think Matt is with uh, KNBC in Kansas City, if I have that correct. You can confirm, Matt. Uh, unmuting your line now. You can go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for doing this. This is uh, super informative and helpful. Uh, we had a, a state representative in Kansas uh, say yesterday, we're putting too much reliance on sources that cannot meet our energy needs, uh, especially in times like this. Um, he's specifically talking about wind here. And and I wonder if you could just expand on that and whether or not um, a statement like that might be true and, and, and the, the thinking that we're putting too much reliance on sources like wind. I know there's been a lot of chatter. Matt, I think, I mean, for me, at least you cut out just a little here bit. in our area. I apologize. I didn't know I was interrupting you. You cut out, and I thought you had stopped. Yeah, look, just let me ask that one more time. The statement that you were wanting me to apologize. Sure. sure. I'm going to chime in. I'm, I'm also having a hard time hearing Matt, but he had sent something in the chat, so I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to read this and hope that, that it, it summarizes what he was asking now, uh, what he had chatted to me and said, we had a state representative in Kansas say yesterday, quote, we're putting too much reliance on sources that can't meet our energy needs, especially in times like these, um, end quote. But he's, he clarified he's referring mainly to wind. So could anybody speak to this statement and whether we feel that's true? Let me, let me just, let me just uh, point out, just remind folks that 
we don't own the generation and we don't determine what kind of generation is built. It's our, uh, it's your local utility in conjunction with their state regulators and others that determine what kind of generation is built. Now they are required, uh, to have us do a study on how that generation would reliably connect to the electric grid. Um, but basically we're fuel agnostic. We, we facilitate the wholesale electric market. We don't pick the winners and losers. The market does. And in fact, we have a very diverse fuel supply. About a third of our energy comes from wind, about a third comes from coal and about a third comes from natural gas. I don't know if Lanny and Barbara want to, want to add anything to that. Well, the, what I would say in response to what the uh, the senator said um, is that is a question that's going to be asked and, and hopefully answered in the future. Um, we we just have to keep in mind as we try to respond to those questions about certain fuels and the availability uh, of generation that relies on those fuels and how much we should actually count on when we need it. And we have to understand that uh, these events are very, very, very rare, and we, we have to be reasonable in terms of of, uh, of our expectations. I, but again, uh, th that is a question that will be asked and answered going forward. Once once we get out of our current situation, which right now that's, our, I can tell you our operators aren't thinking about that. Right now our operators are thinking about how to keep the lights on for the next five minutes. All right, and Matt, I apologize that the audio connection uh, got interrupted there. I hope that that does address your question, uh, and, if, and if we need any further clarification, you can chat or email me. Um, we'll take one more question from the phone, and then I'm, I'm, there's uh, another that has been mentioned several times, so we're going to end on one, uh, one after that from the chat, and we'll do our best to follow up with everyone else uh, offline. But uh, for our, our last question from the phone, I'm going to turn to Adam Willis. Uh, Adam, I'm going to unmute your line, and if you wouldn't mind just clarifying what organization you're with. Go ahead. Sure. Sure. appreciate you taking my question. Um, Adam Willis, I'm with the Fargo Forum in North Dakota. Uh, my question is, uh, our governor, Governor Doug Burgum in, in North Dakota, put out a press release today saying that he was urging the Western Area Power Administration, WAPA, basically to give as much advance notice to residents as possible. Um, Given the, given the complications going on and the short notice that's coming from SPP on these issues. I'm just curious if you can speak to whether, whether that's possible right now, given the, given the circumstances. It, can, can these utility providers uh, provide more advance notice than they're already giving? You know, they, it, it would be very difficult to provide advance notice with a high degree of certainty. What we can do um, and what we have done uh, which is available for uh, any of our utility members to consider is just given the advance warning that this could happen. Um, but, you know, to be able to tell somebody in 15 minutes exactly expect your load to be turned off, I, I, don't, I don't know how they would be able to do that um, because, we're, again, we're all waiting until the absolute last moment to make that decision. That covers my question, but I appreciate you taking it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I want to add just yeah. one comment. We're waiting till the last minute because we have to wait till the last minute. Okay, we don't want to cut. We don't want to cut people preemptively. 
if there's a way to avoid it, then we're going to avoid it. And it just, there's a lot of moving parts and it does change by the second. And we do have to make these decisions. That's why we have the energy alerts. So we have levels one, two, and three. Once we get to level three, ideally everyone in the region knows we're at a level three. And what level three means is if things continue to, to, to digress, we will have to issue blackouts or issue, issue interruptions. Um, and so you know, I, I think that's, you know, that, that's probably the best those, those companies can do. Is, and, and, we, and as Lainey mentioned, we've seen quite a few of them that are posting those kinds of things on Twitter and, um, you know, issuing robocalls, issuing robocalls to their consumers and other things. So. All right. So um, to, to close out our period of questions, there have been several that related to kind of what comes next. And I'll just, I'm going to address a couple of them. Um, this is kind of a nice segue from where we've, we've just been. Um, Jasmine Putney, I know you've sent a question um, uh, citing uh, comments by Nebraska's governor calling rotating outage unacceptable. Um, just hinting that, that something would need to change. Uh, Peter Bear, uh, I saw that you had asked in the chat, uh, noting, you know, studies done by groups of experts, you know, years ago, um, saying that our industry should should better prepare for these un, unexpected black swan events. Um, and others of you have have asked about, you know, what we anticipate going forward in terms of investigations and changes in policy and things like that. So, um, just to, to any any of you, uh, Lanny, Mike, Barbara, any comments on uh, what you think is is next and what we'll do um, to, to try and prevent something like this from, from happening again or to mitigate the effects of another event? Well, we've already seen an announcement by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that they want to look into this event and they want to work with us and, and our neighbors and, and our utilities to understand what happened, to look for opportunities for improvements, lessons learned, uh, and ways to avoid this happening in the future. So I think I think that that you know there's going to be good guidance that's going to come out of uh, from a national level looking at the whole big picture of what's happened here. This this deep freeze in the South uh, is it, it is unprecedented. These we've set record temperatures here where we're located, uh, and it's and it has stayed cold for a long time. So so it is definitely uh, an unusual weather event, and. SPP is a 14 state region. You know, one of the one of the benefits of RTO membership, in my opinion, is that you know, we have this geographic diversity. And when when things are happening in the northern part of our footprint, oftentimes the southern part of our footprint footprint is able to pick up the slack, produce the extra power, power, alleviate some of the concerns. In this case, what we're seeing now is the challenges are really in the southern part of our footprint. And the folks up in the north, are, as part of our region, are helping out. Uh, it's unfortunate. It is completely unfortunate that we have to issue a single outage. And that is that is the worst situation for us, short of, of cascading and uncontrollable outages happening. Um, and we're benefited by the fact that it is spread across such a huge area that we don't have to take we don't have to take a city the size of Kansas City and black them out uh, for, you know, for you know three hours. We are able to you know spread that uh, you know everybody working together as part of one big team, and, and I think that's one of the benefits of 
of regional organizations like SPP. And, and we're not going to do this alone. Uh, we are an organization. Uh, we're highly collaborative. We have very engaged members. Uh, one thing that our industry does well is it plans. It plans ahead and tries to protect against these kinds of uh, more routine <laughs> situations. I don't know that this is routine. One thing it does even better is it learns from events when these kinds of events happen. That's exactly what we saw after the 2003 blackout. We learned a lot, and there were changes made as a result of that, and there could be some changes made as a result of this. Um, I will tell you that the industry as a whole plans generating resources and the amount of capacity needed in, in order to try to prevent no more than a one day in 10 years loss of load event. I think in SPP, we've been pretty successful in that we've had one in 80. Don't want to under, uh, underestimate this one, don't want to trivialize it. Uh, it's just that these, these kinds of policy discussions will happen and we'll have to consider whether or not we want to uh, move away from what we have traditionally planned for. And, and how we've um, and how we've worked together to make these kinds of things to be non-events. You only hear about them when they're an event. You, you don't hear about them when we when we keep these from being events. All right. Well, we are um, at the close of the hour, uh, a minute past now. I do want to thank everyone uh, for taking time to join in, and, and um, I hope that we've been able to connect some of the dots and, and uh, explain, clarify uh, SVP's role in um, managing this event and responding to it. Um, as as all of us have, have already pointed out, um, the event is not over. Things continue to change. And so we will uh, continue to do our best to get word out and uh, keep everyone informed of uh, conditions across our footprint. Um, we, as I mentioned, we'll send a link to the recording of this event as soon as it's available, as soon as the video has processed. Um, we'll also uh, just encourage everyone to, to follow us on Twitter um, and on spp.org. You can always check um, current grid conditions there. Um, I, I will just note that this event, uh, as we have been uh, pretty inundated with requests for interviews and statements um, and uh, requests for status updates, we're doing our very best to work through those, um, but it will take us some time. So um, just uh, don't, don't give up on us. We'll, we'll get, um, get back with uh, everyone who has sent those emails and called us um, in, in as timely a manner as possible. Um, so, but please do reach out if there's anything we can do, and um, thank you again, and hope that all of you and your listeners and readers and viewers uh, are able to stay safe and warm, and we'll be doing our part to make sure that that's the case. Thank you, and good evening.